0: And so as we begin today, you know, some of us, we're, we're here believing. We're pretty sure about what we believe. We're feeling good about our relationship with God. And some of us, we're not so sure. We're not sure exactly what we believe yet. We're certainly not sure what kind of creed to live by. And that's okay, because we're here to help each other along the way. But what we need to know is that belief can change the world. I'll say it again. Belief, our belief can change the world. But it's first got to change us, right? Because we live in a world where there are thousands of things that we can believe in. I mean, just basic things. Many of us believe in music. You may be a believer. Any believers out there? Johnny Menzel's a believer. He was at his concert this past week. Or maybe you uh, just have a philosophy or mindset. You sing this verse in your head that I'm just going to don't stop believing. Now, if you've been around for a while, you know who actually sang that song back in the 80s. Journey. C. Perry. Very nice. Very nice. Even for you young kids out there, you know this song because it's in movies. You've sung this song. Well, we believe in the Spurs, right? I mean, it's playoff time. And I know we've got at least a couple Oklahoma City fans out there, so sorry, but go Spurs. And we believe in the Cowboys. It's draft time, right? There's hope. It could be the season, finally, we've been waiting for. We have hobbies and all kinds of things that we believe in, but there's just a few core things, core beliefs that shape us, that can make a lasting impact in our lives. And it's these core beliefs that establish a foundation for us. So I need to ask you, what are you believing today? I mean, how does your belief, your faith impact your life and your family and the community around you? Well, uh, years ago, when my oldest son, Colin, was little, Candace and I, we had strong beliefs about how we were going to raise him and parent him. We wanted him to be respectful and responsible. And as young parents, you have incredible vision for what that's going to look like. And we thought because we're so loving and we were going to be so consistent, these high expectations we had would result in him willingly responding to our amazing parenting. You know, the kind of responses as you wish father, (laughs) knowing that his young, his young will would easily get on board with what he, what we wanted him to do. Well, one day when Colin was two, Candace called me while I was at work. It was in the afternoon and she said, you need to talk to your son. And I've noticed that in my house, when she refers to my children as your son or your daughter, they've, you know, all of a sudden, they've just become mine. Like, they're my problem. Well, anyway, I said, what's up? And she uh, kind of explained that a little while ago, I asked Colin to pick up his toys. He said, no. I said, if you're not going to pick up your toys, then you need to go to your room and sit on your bed. And she said, this has been going on now for three hours, where he comes out of his room. I say, you got to pick up your toys. He says, no. I send him back to his room. So, I come home about 5.30 in the afternoon, and Colin is still in his room. The toys are out in the family room. He's still sitting there. And so I go in, and I sit down with Colin, and I say, Hey, Colin, you have to pick up your toys right now, or you're not going to get dinner tonight. And I thought, Oh, yeah, this is, this is it. This is the motivation he needs. Um, and he said, No. The standoff was about five hours at this point. It was his strong will against ours. So sometime after six o'clock, Candace and I had finished dinner and uh, we were gonna go check on him. And as we walked toward his room, we went past the family room and noticed that all the toys were picked up and put away. And we found him sitting in his room on his bed. I'm really not sure who won that day. But we were learning that Colin had a will, and he was focused on building his little kingdom, and yet he was going to learn that we had a will, and we had a greater plan for his life, and belief does that. Belief must shape our will and move us toward positive action. I mean, belief is what sustains us and moves us forward because you know what? When we think about life and all the stuff that we deal with, life is tough. It's filled with challenge. We all have doubts that we face and disappointments and discouragements. We have things that we, you know, we've got to deal with this week and we don't know how to do it, but it's belief that carries us forward. It's belief that moves us to action. It's not a set of ideas that are stuck in here. It's belief that moves out through us that actually propels us to make the world better. And when we're about making the world better, guess what? Fruit happens. That's how fruit happens. And that's the heart of what we're talking about today. Jesus invites us to be a part of making the world a better place. And no matter what you believe about Christianity or the church today, I think we'd all agree that Jesus... When he came into the world, he intended that faith in him would motivate us to make the world better. I mean, it's not right when Christians make the world worse, is it? And I think we can all think of examples of that, but that's not what Jesus intended. That's not what belief is about because belief is supposed to change us so that we can be a part of what God is doing in the world. So the very kind of starting point of that, the core, the foundation of what it means to believe is centered on Jesus, who he was and what he came to accomplish in our world. And so as we heard from the creed, Jesus was the son of God. He became one of us. He came into our world. He came from the Father to lay down his life for the sins of the world. He came to destroy the consequences of sin and death. And he came to to show God's love so that we could be brought back and reconciled into relationship with the God who made us. Jesus did that for us. He did what we couldn't do for ourselves. We don't earn it. It's a gift. The gift of a loving and gracious God who desires to be in relationship with, with his people. Now that's the good news. That's kind of the center of what we believe as Christians. And when we believe that, it's got to change the way that we live and approach life. And I think that's why this powerful uh, this metaphor that we're going to talk about is so powerful because Jesus talked about the vine and the branches this incredible picture for us, that he's the vine and we're the branches. If we wanna have fruitful lives, we've got to be connected to him. Our belief has to be centered in him and connected in him. So here's, here's what he said. He's speaking to the disciples and he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up, they're thrown into the fire and burned. And if you remain in, But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And as the Father has loved me, so have I loved loved you. So this remaining thing is essential. As we put our faith in Christ, we're meant to be connected to him, to be one with him. His words, and that's why the scriptures are so important for us, his words are meant to help us, to shape us, to grow us. But if we're going to be connected, we've got to spend time with him, to learn from him. And what do we learn from him? Well, we learn about God's grace. We learn that we're grafted into the vine, that we're one with God, we're united with him, that he becomes a part of us. And because he's a part of us, we're a part of the family. And so that means if you've received the gift of grace, you're loved by God and nothing can separate you from God's love in this world. That's what it means to be connected to the vine. But that also means that we have to start giving up on our own will. There's a verse where the Apostle Paul says in Galatians, he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And that means when we're connected, when we're in the vine, God's love comes in us and through us. God's grace comes to us and through us. God's spirit is with us and fills us. Now think about this for a moment. Um, one of the things that I think drives all of us mad when we, are, we have our cell phones, it, you know, it's an important ingredient in our life, right? It it's almost becomes like our vine. We need our cell phone. And when our charge is at 20%, how do you feel? Not good. You get stressed. You're, you're anxious. Um, you're like, I, I got I to gotta find a charger someplace. I need some power. When it hits the red zone, then you're really stressed out. Well, it's like, without the vine, we live like that. We're living on our own power, which is incredibly limited. And Jesus is our power source. Because when we're connected to power, Right when our phone is getting charged or constantly charged, are we stressed out? Maybe, but not because not we're worried about our phone, right? We've got power. We've got confidence. We feel connected. We feel fully charged. And that's what it means to remain. And Jesus said, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. If you're fully charged, you're going to bear fruit and show yourselves to be my disciples, But if you don't remain, if you live on limited power, if you follow your own will, you can't live by faith and you'll experience frustration and the reality of a fruitless life. Well, here's here's the problem for me and for you, is I still have a will. It's not like because I have faith in Christ, because I have belief, my will is done and over with. I mean, the closer I'm connected to Jesus, the better off I am, but I still have a will. I like my way. I like my little kingdom. And you know what? I can act like a two-year-old. I'm sure you never do, but I can. And that's why Jesus talks about pruning in this metaphor. He says that God the gardener actually prunes us so that we can become more fruitful as we live by faith. Now, if, if you ever do any work in a garden, you understand this. You prune something to cut away dead branches. You cut away branches that are impeding growth. It's for good. But when we think about pruning in our life, when change is going to come to us or kind of growth where we have to adjust, it's painful I mean, if you've been around the church, I mean, I I, I've never really heard people talking about how awesome it is to be getting pruned. I mean, you don't see, you don't see. We're not really bumper sticker or t-shirt type people here at Rock Hills, but if I mean, you don't see any bumper stickers that say, "I'm getting pruned and loving it." I mean, you don't hear people saying, "Hey, man, last week it was a prune fest. I was getting totally shredded." Now, we don't say that but we experience it when we live by faith. And it's not fun, but it's a part of how God shapes our will. And you know what? I mean, it's not just for my son or for my kids as I try to shape their will. My will needs to be adjusted. I can't be about my little kingdom. I've got to be about his kingdom. And there are days... um, I'm sure this is hard for you to believe, but just ask my wife. There are days where I can be stubborn. I can be a stubborn jerk. I can be selfish. And when I'm, a self, when I'm selfish and a jerk, I mean, those are great days in my house. I'm sure my wife is saying, wow, Dave, you're really reminding me of Jesus today. Nope. But it's the power of pruning. It's the process where God is lovingly shaping us so that we can be more gracious, more involved in what he's doing. So we can be a part of changing the world and bearing fruit because that's how fruit happens. And for us to get there, sometimes we've got to let go of stuff that's getting in the way. And so what I'm going to ask you to do do today is... Um, maybe later when you get home, you take out a piece of paper and you just do a little spiritual inventory. Just write down anything that you can notice about your life that God may want you to pay attention to. It may be your character, maybe your behavior. It may even be your preferences about life, how you spend your time, your preferences about church. God may want to reshape that. A friend of mine uh, was doing this Uh, one day. And and so he was writing some things down. And one thing that he noticed was, um, he's like, you know, I I think I'm doing pretty well in my faith. But one thing I noticed is I've got some kind of judgmental thoughts. And occasionally I say stuff that I'm like, wow, did I really just say that? It sounded so judgmental. and I'm, I don't think I'm like that. So he made uh, a commitment for the next week. He said, for the next week, I don't, I'm not going to think any judgmental thoughts, or if I get one, I'm going to correct it. I don't want to be a judgmental person. And so uh, he started day one. um, It went really badly. Uh, He just found himself. It's like he's with people and he's having these judgmental thoughts. And he's like, okay, wait a second. I I need to get into day two. And so day two started and it was worse. So he quit. He just stopped. He said, "Um, I need to pray through this because obviously there's something wrong inside of me. And what he found over time is, as he started to pray for people, uh, as he started to pray for situations, rather than just allow his mind to go, he started thinking about people differently. His heart was different, and God was shaping him. Now, here's, this is what Jesus meant when he said, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. You see, in my friend's life, God's will was beginning to shape him. He started thinking of other people before himself. He realized it can't be about me and my preferences all the time. It's got to be about other people. So what's God's will? I mean, what's God's will for you today? It's something that many of us have wondered about. We've asked questions about. um, And here it is generally speaking, this is God's will for you today. He wants you to love people. He wants you to set your own ideas aside and to love people. And when our mind begins to shift that way, we We no longer conform to the pattern of the world, which is focused on us and us getting what we need, but we get transformed by God's love as we begin to put other people before ourselves. And that's what Jesus said here. He said, what's God's will? What does it mean for you and I to to be a part of what God's doing in the world and to lead a fruitful life? He says this in John 15, a few verses later, he says, my command is this. I want you to love each other. As I've loved you, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. God's desire for us as he shapes us and helps us to live for his kingdom, helps us to live for making the world a better place, is to love him, to be connected And through that, through his power, through the the source that he gives us, through his grace, we can love others in a way that makes their lives better. You know what? We can change the world with that kind of love. We can change the world one life at a time because that's how fruit happens. Um. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you that my stepdad Bill was was very ill. He was in hospice. He died, and last week we were up in Michigan for the visitation and memorial service. And it was it was hard, and it was good, and it was you know all those things that are wrapped around somebody's death and a funeral. But you know what was interesting? Bill was an incredible gift to our family, to my mom. They were together for 15 years, to uh, us kids, to uh, my kids. I mean, he was grandpa to our kids. And he loved us in many sacrificial ways. And we experienced that with him on a regular basis. He had great faith. He believed in us. And more than that, he believed in people. And that was no more evident then when we were at the visitation, uh, you know, that, uh, that Friday night, because people were sharing about how they experienced Bill. And I mean, I already knew that. My mom and Bill, they would come down and spend every spring for a month, month and a half. They would stay uh, here in San Antonio. And kind of the running joke with Bill was, hey, when, Bill, when you're here, you make me look really bad as a pastor. Because he cared so much about people that he would go out and while he was here, he'd play golf and he'd meet guys that he was playing golf with. And then he'd come back and he'd tell me about so-and-so, this is what he does or what he did, this is his wife, his kids live over here and there. And then you know he'd be out at restaurants and coffee shops, he'd be at the hotel where they stayed and he'd meet all these people. And he'd tell me about what was going on in their lives. And if they didn't have a connection to a church or a church that they were a part of, he'd invite them to Rock Hills. And so I'd be sitting there always like, I got to step it up. <laughs> I, I'm a church planner. We started this church. I mean, you have to meet a lot of people to do that. And Bill simply lived that way. And so when we we're at the visitation, what really struck me was, you know, people people um, always say nice things at at visitations and at funerals and highlight uh, the best things about people's lives. But what struck me was the, the variety of people that didn't just say, you know, Bill was a great guy, but stopped me and told me about how Bill had touched their life or impacted their life. And it was... He worked at a college for a number of years, so it was professors. There was a college president. There were business people from the community that had relationships with Bill that were affected by Bill. He had friends. He had people that worked for him, even a guy who did stuff uh, at his house, um, and his employees that had been, you know, worked with him for a number of years. And it was his employees that really struck me where Bill made their life better. And it was because of his faith, because of his commitment to Christ, and then how he poured that out and shared it with other people. The way that he put other people first over and over again. And that's really our challenge today as we think about faith, what it means to remain in the vine, to be connected to Christ, It's not just something that happens in here, belief. It's something that flows out of us because we're connected to him. It's something that in our weakness, his strength and his courage comes through. Where we have the opportunity to make people's lives better. And so I want to ask you today, as you think about your relationships, you think about uh, the opportunities that you might have, Who's the one person this week? The one person that God's putting on your heart that you can pray for and you can show God's love to. Because when we do, that's how fruit happens. That's how our world gets better. And God's, you know, God's great vision for what he wants to do happens through us. So, pray with me, please. Lord, thank you for just another time to gather, to be together, Jesus, to look to you. And no matter where we're at in faith, whether we've been following you and and, and wanting to grow in you, or we're brand new as we think about what it means to be connected to you, to know your presence, to experience your grace, to to know your love on a daily basis. Lord, help us to share that. Help us to think of others that you've put in our lives that we can pray for and we can serve and we can love. And we know, God, that you'll bless that, that you'll bless us in the process, that you'll give us strength that we don't have. All we have to do is remain. Pray all this in Christ. Amen.